Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is from the book of Ephesians, uh, straight talk from the author about our behavior as the people of Christ. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. As most of you know, I had an 18-year career at the School of Theology at Mercer University before coming to be your pastor. So I was there at the very beginning of the school. We opened in the fall of 19. 96. And as a part of the curriculum, one of the hallmarks of that early curriculum choice was going to be a required course in spiritual formation. Every first year student would take a course in spiritual formation. It was a way of showing that the school was interested in not just educating people to win Bible trivia, but the school's mission included forming men and women in the life of faith. It was a class uh, taught in small groups, 10 or so people. And one of the first assignments in that class, first year class, was to write your spiritual autobiography. You, You would write up the moments and the people who were most influential to your spiritual development, your calling, what brought you to this place. Then, then once the students had, had written their spiritual autobiography, a part of the class was to share that with the others in the class. As you can imagine, 
this became a real intimate and bonding experience for a lot of our students early on. Well, I had the occasion to teach that class on a few occasions. And one of the things that I noticed in these holy stories was not just what was included, but also what was never included. Nobody ever said, I saw an angry billboard on I-85 on my way to North Carolina, and I thought, you know what, I want to escape the fires of hell. Maybe I should check into this Christianity thing. Just never came up. No, nobody ever said, I was at Six Flags, I was in line. There was a guy standing in front of me, he had on a t-shirt with the slogan on it, and that's when I said, well, God does love me. Never happened. I never had one person say, I saw this post on Facebook, and it just changed my life. Now, I had a few outlier stories of people who had a profound private encounter with God's compelling grace. I heard a sprinkling of stories that would, you and I would put under the heading of miraculous encounter. But the story that I heard over and over and over was that some person embodied God's love a person who invested and made a difference in the life of somebody else. Stories of parents who modeled the abundant life of Christ in the home, and it just became a part of the way the home was structured. I heard stories of grandparents who read scriptures to children from the time they were little, and who embodied a kind of gentle strength that made a difference in the life of these people. I would hear stories about a high school buddy who, who just kind of carried joy. And then one day he invited me to church and I met others in his youth group. And they seemed to have this same pilot light on, this something else, this something going on inside their life that mattered and it drew me in and drew me closer. I heard about church communities that gave and served and forgave and included. I heard about Sunday school teachers who took one doubting question after another and kept responding with love and grace. In all of those stories, I did not hear one who was convinced by doctrine. Instead, over and over and over, I heard some version of this. I was invited into a community where love was alive, and it changed my life. The early church was searching for some defining characteristic, some distinguishing hallmark of the Christian faith to separate Christianity from all the other competing options of the day. And by now, by the time of the writing of Ephesians, the Jewish and Gentile believers are now together, so the distinguishing marks of the Jewish tradition were no longer defining. 
The, the Artemis cult in Ephesus is thriving. They're Their distinguishing thing was the goddess Artemis, the queen of the cosmos, superior to all others, they would say. She wore signs of the zodiac around her neck, magic letters on her scepter to show her mastery in the cosmos. The worshipers of Mithras had had their thing, this, this complex system of seven grades of initiation and communal rites. And so, I mean, what is Christianity going to be known for? What's, what's our thing? What's our brand? And so the writer of the letter to the Ephesians makes it clear what the thing is going to be the singular distinctive mark of the Christian community is going to be love. We will be known by the depth and breadth and quality of the way we love. Be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us. But love can be a kind of squishy word, right? I mean, kind of hard to define because we use it so many different ways. I love cashews. I love Melissa. I love the Braves. I love my children. I love onion casserole. I mean, it kind of just covers too much, right? So can you define what you mean by love? If the Christian community is going to be marked by this, what do you mean? So, the author of Ephesians lays out a list. Just, and and it's not a narrative. It it doesn't flow very well. It's just kind of choppy. But it's just a straight out list. This is what it's like. So, it's as though the author is saying, here is my list of things that the Christian community should be about if they are marked by love. And first part of the list, as the old folks used to say, there's some things you need to get shed of. Here's some behaviors you need to stop. He says, stop saying things that are not true. Let's just start with some basics. Put away falsehood. Speak to the, the truth to your neighbors because we're all members of one another. And as we're experiencing right now, misinformation is leading even to death. So you need to stop saying what just isn't so. Well, what else? Be angry and sin not. Anger is an emotion. Anger is not a sin. He says, but some of you are letting that red face and sweaty palms turn into some actions that are anything but loving. If you're angry, deal with it constructively today before the sun goes down. And if you don't, it'll just keep piling up, piling up like a storage, full, storage unit full of fireworks till one day just one little spark will set that thing off. Okay, the writer says, here's another simple one. Stop stealing. Work. 
Use your gifts, your industry. Earn money if you are able. If you don't work and you are able, it's a form of stealing. So go to work if you are able and earn some money and give some of it away because some people are not able to work and you can help them out by giving some of it away. Stop letting evil come out of your mouth. Words can tear, build up or tear down. So save your language for stuff that spreads grace and builds and champions and delights. Stop tearing each other down with your words, he says. Stop distressing God's heart. Stop causing God to grieve. Here's another fast list of stuff to get shed of. Bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling, slander, and malice. I know it's going to take some work, but that's what love looks like. But then there's a shift. The redemptive Christian community is not just marked by what you've given up. Christianity isn't a game of subtraction. Love does involve giving up some of the stuff that's been mentioned, but it also involves adding some things as well. And the list shifts to things that we ought to be adding into our lives. Be kind. Be kind to one another. Not not nice. Nice is pasty and has no upper body strength. Nice won't tell you that you've got broccoli in your teeth. But kindness will. The Christian community practices kindness. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Tender-hearted might be one of my favorite words in English. Tender-hearted. Forgiving. That's what it means to imitate God. If you do this, he says, and you do it right, you practice, it'll put off a fragrance that will distinguish the Christian community and attract others into the fold. The song says, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Sadly, what too many people experience from the Christian community, it's not exactly fragrant. It, It smells, but it's not exactly fragrant. Too often, the Christian community is marked by anger that turns quickly into meanness. Language that is used to tear down the other. Language that is used to repeat lies if it helps my party or tribe. Judgment, bitterness, sharp, closed-fisted, narrow truth. That is what the Christian community smells like to some, not fragrant. But this list, the attributes of love that mark the Christian community, 
is our marching order, and it is at the same time simple and really hard. What I mean by simple, I mean it's simple enough to understand, right? We didn't have to look up any of these words. It's pretty straightforward. That's the way the author of Ephesians talks, just straight out. This is what it is. This is what you need to do. It doesn't require any kind of advanced degrees. We don't have to, you know, bridge the gap to the first century. We, we understand what this means. Don't lie, don't steal, be kind, forgive. It's just hard. Like many of you, Melissa and I have been watching uh, the Olympics a lot at night. Just do three flips in a pike position before you hit the water. I mean, it's simple, but it's hard. But it's also true that like the Olympics, we get better at what we practice. And they will know we are Christians by our love. And we'd better get some practice laps in. And this is the place to do it. I heard it from the students at McAfee, but I've also heard it from you. In different ways, you all have told me the same thing. I was invited into a community where love was alive and it changed my life. There are two parts of that testimony that need our attention. The first we've already noted The single most distinguishing mark of the Christian community is that it must be kind and loving and tender-hearting and forgiving. We've said that already. But it also means that our first task is to worship and study and pray and practice until we're formed into more loving individuals and into a more loving body of believers. And I believe we do this work in person. I'm making another appeal that when it's safe to do so, we come back into this room and bump into each other in the corridors around here. Because these things are only things we can practice in community. I practice how to handle anger when I'm with you. And some of you have given me a lot of practice. Kindness can't be exercised at home looking at a computer screen. Using words that build up instead of tear down, it's a practice of community. We've got to be here together to be formed into a fragrant offering of Christ's love. But there's a second part of this testimony that I want to highlight. The testimony claims I was invited into a community where love was alive and it changed my life. And the second part of that that we need to highlight today is that they were invited. You were invited. Love doesn't play defense. Love is active and reaching and inviting. Love doesn't just respond in kindness. It goes hunting places to be kind. Love doesn't just bite its tongue as a way of keeping evil words from escaping. It looks for ways to use language to bless. Bless. 
and build up. We've got to figure out how to activate a love that plays offense, that looks for ways to be partners with God in sharing God's love and grace. You know, there are people in your traffic patterns, hard as this is to believe, there are people you know who live lives that are no bigger than the search for their pleasure and productivity because they've experienced nothing transcendent. They've never known what it feels like to have the love of God in Christ animate their lives with a sense of purpose, belonging. They've never known the deep joy of shared life that we have in covenant community. They've never experienced the soaring delight of giving away to a cause that matters. Instead, They're trapped in a life that is no bigger than their search for pleasure and productivity. As though one more widget sold would make the hunger go away. And what they need from you is an act of love. What they need is... For somebody who has found joy and meaning to enter their lives and be kind, tender-hearted, loving enough to invite them into a community where love is practiced. Imperfectly for sure, but where we're making stabs at becoming the fragrant offering we've been called to be. So I'm going to just say this, as flat-footed as the author of Ephesians, who just puts in lists that don't go one from the next, you need to invite some folks to church. And you need to come back. Because we need each other in community. And there are hurting people out there who need to know the love of God in Christ that we talk about in here. So we have some active love to do. I mentioned that at the McAfee School of Theology, requirement all first-year students share their spiritual autobiography in class. I'll just put this out there, too. It might be worthwhile when we come back to Sunday school on the 22nd of this month. Might be worth hearing each other's spiritual autobiographies. Don't you think you'd be inspired by knowing the stories, the people, the episodes that led your friends into the life of faith? To hear the stories about how God found them, claimed them, changed them, renewed them. And imagine this, if, if you're picturing this going on in Sunday school, imagine how satisfying it would be if somebody were telling that story and pointed across the class and pointed at you and said, 
because of that person sitting right there, I was invited into a community where love was alive and it changed my life. We have the power to make a difference in the lives of people we invest in if we bear the marks of the love of Christ in community. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.